The Lord is at hand. Mm-hmm. Be anxious for nothing. Could that be any more plain? I, I mean, there's no ambiguity there, right? He, he's pretty straightforward. Be anxious, not for a little bit, not for your job. I mean, he gives us no caveat. He gives us no option B, no exception to the rule. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything. Those are two polar opposites. Everything, nothing. There's a lot of area in between the two, but one is one extreme and the other is the other extreme. So be anxious for nothing, but with everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And verse 7 says this, And the peace of God. Uh, and the peace of God. That's that, that did not say the peace of your 401k. doesn't say the, the peace of your job paycheck. It doesn't say the peace of all the folks that like you and appreciate you. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That scripture right there, you might as well underline it, highlight it, write it down, tattoo it on your forehead, whatever you got to do, because for the next three weeks, I'm going to be using some version of this scripture and other scriptures like it to close out this series, I'm better than this. Where I am, where I've been, what I've been doing, how I've been living, how I've been treating other folks, how I've been thinking, how I've been praying, how I've been faithing, how I've been attending churches, how I've been an employee, how I've been an employer, how I've been parenting, how I've been sonning and daughtering, everything, I'm better than this. You, what you see in front of you is a shined up version of what I used to be, but I ain't there yet. I've still got some work to do on me. I'm better than this. And you may be seated in his presence. I'm going to make a couple of uh, quick announcements. Uh, first of all, July 4th, which is three weeks from now, which is going to wrap up, uh, I'm going to be wrapping up this series in the next two weeks after this sermon. Uh, the 4th of July, we're going to have a special service. We're going we're to open up the playground up, up here. We're going to have a picnic out in the pavilion, and we're going to have a family fun day. We're going to have church service, uh, an abbreviated church service, and then because it is the 4th of July, I wanted, I wanted to share it with my family. So the church is going to provide the hot dogs and the hamburgers, and there's a big grill up there, and we're going to cook out, and we, we invite all of you, and invite somebody with you. Uh, that, that, you might be able to get them to come eat a hot dog when you can't get them to come hear me preach, and they find out that we don't bite. Maybe they want to come back and hear somebody preach once in a while. So, so invite folks to come. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to provide all the food, and the fellowship will be on you. So that's, that's the 4th of July. Keep that in mind. Also, right after service this morning, don't get up and leave the, the building. We hope you'll stay because we have a short presentation. We want to honor our graduates this morning when service is over. So it'll take uh, just a short uh, ceremony. We've got, I think, four that are going to be... Uh, promoted to some uh, degree or another uh, in, in our fellowship, and, and we want to honor them this morning. So don't, don't rush out the door uh, just yet, and, and I'll try not to keep you longer than two hours my normal preaching time. Uh, you laugh, and I preached at camp meeting this past week, and I preached an hour and 20 minutes, but that's another. <laughs> I, blame, I blame my bishop. So in the next three weeks, I'm going to conclude this series. This sermon, and then there's going to be two others. And 
I know the sermon series has been titled, I'm Better Than This. But for the next three weeks, we have a secondary theme. And that secondary theme is going to be called Heart Trouble. Heart Trouble. This morning, I'm going to deal with anxiousness. I will soon deal with depression. And then I will deal with honor and jealousy. We're going to deal over the next three weeks getting better than this with by healing heart trouble. It has been said that nothing can stop a person who has the right attitude and from achieving their goals, and nothing can be done to help a person who has a negative attitude from achieving their goals. And if anybody ever lived that had the right mental attitude, it was the Apostle Paul. He writes from a Roman prison cell, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Paul understood what I'm going to teach you this morning. Your attitude will always determine your altitude. How high or how low you go. Now, I know I'm talking in 2021 when everybody wants to blame somebody else and everybody wants to be the victim. Everybody is held back. Everybody has been overlooked. Everybody has been abused. Everybody has been neglected. But I'm here to talk to you like an adult. Is it all right if I treat you like grown folk? Is it okay if I just uh, treat you for the next couple of weeks like you uh, ought to know better? Listen, listen, there's a difference in knowing better and ought to know better. Because some of us have been in church long enough, been around the faith long enough, have received enough word over the years that we ought to know better. Paul had this problem in the church at Corinth. He said, I have taught you enough that you ought to be teaching other folks. But you are still on the meat, uh, on the milk, because you can't handle the meat, because you have not, even though you ought to know better, you're not doing better. It's 2021, people. It is time for us to pull ourselves up, straighten ourselves up, and do better than what we've been doing. Can I get an amen from somebody in this Pentecostal church? So I'm going to talk to you this morning about your attitude. And I know some of you are going to look at me with a stink eye, but that's okay. Me and the Holy Ghost ain't afraid of none of you. Because if we get the right attitude, Paul says here, there's nothing we can't do. There's nothing we can't accomplish that God has helped us or called us to or promoted us to if we get the right attitude. But the right attitude begins with this one word, rejoice. Now that is a shock to some of your systems because some of you came into this room this morning and you haven't rejoiced in quite some time. I know, look at me, go ahead, look at me funny, because you said, Pastor, I sang those songs. I didn't ask you if you sang a song. There's a difference in singing songs and rejoicing. Because some of you are singing, help is on the way. But hey, when you came in the room, you were typing somebody, I can't stand that Mary. She gets on my nerves. She's always looking at me funny. Her, her dress is too short. Y'all were complaining. On, some of y'all had a fist fight nearly break out in the car on the ride over here. And you walk in the sanctuary, throw your hands up, and say, help is on the way. Help's already here if you just accept it. Some of us haven't rejoiced in a long time. You've sang songs, you've prayed prayers, but you have not rejoiced. 
the attitude starts with that word rejoice. How do I know that? Because Paul is very dogmatic. In one little short sentence, he tells us not only should we rejoice, but he tells us how often to do it. Always. That is hard for this preacher to read, and it is harder for this preacher to live. I'll be the only honest Christian in here, me and Sarah Dudley. She'll help me. Because I'm going to tell you, it is not easy for me to rejoice always. Next week, I'll tell you a secret. And that's, I'll give you a little preview. I like complaining. I ain't going to get too deep into it because I'm going to save that for next week when I talk to you about David and Absalom. But I like complaining. It's hard for me to have a spirit of always rejoicing, forever celebrating. It's tough for me. Uh, so how do we define what attitude is? Attitude is simply how you see yourself and see the world around you, and your attitude forces you to respond to the world around you. So, so your attitude can be totally positive. You know them sickening people, don't you? Them people that are so sweet, it's almost sickening how sweet they are. You can be totally positive, or your attitude can be totally negative, or you can be somewhere in between, where you have highs and lows, ups and downs. I'll be honest this morning and tell you that I can go from extreme high to extreme low at extreme speed. Like, like I can be, I can get a good, I can get good news. And man, I can be flying high, and then I can get one text, and the bottom fall out. And I, be, I will totally expose that my attitude is not one of forever rejoicing. Let's dig into that just a little bit, because some of you look at me like you don't believe it. Our lives are lived not from outside in, but from inside out. Let me make that very clear before I move on. That means what goes on inside of you is abundantly more important than what goes on outside of you. Our level of joy is based on what is going on inside of us more than it is Fox News or CNN or your job or your crazy kids. It is more important what, how you handle it than what happens to you. Joy is simply this, uncontrollable and undefeatable gladness. That's what joy is. Joy is I can't be brought down no matter what. No matter what I hear, no matter what happens to me, joy is uncontrollable because it has control of me. I don't have control of it. And it's undefeatable. That means that no matter what comes against it, it will be standing at the end of the day. Joy will overcome every adversity, every disappointment, every tragedy, every failure, and the worst that your life has to offer. No matter what comes against it, joy will carry you through it if you get the right attitude. And if you believe that, give God a hand clap. Let him know that you want to receive this word. I feel resistance in the Holy Ghost already. Joy is a promise to God and His people. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. We think that work in a, of the Holy Spirit makes us fall out on the floor and run circles around the sanctuary and speak in tongues. But I'm going to tell you that when the Holy Ghost starts working on you, the first thing He wants to change in you is your attitude. 
And I know your mama has told you your whole life how sweet you are, but the Holy Ghost don't like you like that. The Holy Ghost is trying to do a work in you. Somebody say amen. The Holy Ghost will help you learn how to turn your troubles and trials over to God instead of you trying to handle everything. God really does have a much easier life picked out for us to live, but we insist on carrying loads that He wishes we would learn to give to Him. I'm going to say that again. God has an easier life for you picked out, selected, ordained. But you have gotten off of his path and decided to carry burdens that he does not want you to carry. And the reason you can't get your attitude right, the reason you don't live in perpetual joy, is not because God's not good. It's not even that God don't have a good plan. The reason you are so mean-spirited, the reason you are so heavy-burdened, the reason you got so many tears on your pillow isn't because God ain't good. It's because you are carrying stuff that God wishes you would give to him. Let me tell you what the Bible says. I'm just going to run through this scripture real fast. In the face of depression, joy says all things work together for good. In the face of your suffering, joy says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. In the face of fear, joy says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will... Fear no evil. In the face of impossibilities, joy yells from across the room and says, With God all things are possible. In the face of failure, joy says, Though I have fallen, yet will I rise again. In the face of financial problems, joy says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed beg for bread. In the face of death, joy says, Oh, death, where is thy seed? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? In the face of your prayers that don't seem like they go on and they don't ever get an answer, joy comes along and reassures you that His grace is sufficient for your every burden. When you feel inadequate, joy comes along, grabs you by the arm, and encourages you and says, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. And when your life is at its worth, joy reminds you, thanks be unto God who gives us every victory. That's Bible. That's what joy gives you. If you'll have the right attitude, joy will shout louder than hell whispers. But when your attitude is wrong, all you hear is the negative. All you hear is what the devil's doing to you. Hell is trying to whisper louder than joy is shouting. And somebody in this room needs to tune their ear to what the word of the Lord has already declared over your life. Let me give you some examples of attitudes. Attitudes can be realistic or they can be unrealistic. If you're married to somebody, hooked up with somebody, got a kid with unrealistic attitudes, God help you. Because people will have an unrealistic attitude, which means they expect much more out of you than they're willing to give you. It always cracks me up how people say, well, so-and-so don't ever come and visit me. I always look at them because I'm old and cantankerous these days. And I look at them and say, you going to visit them? 
How come the kids don't call? How come the kids don't call? How come the kids don't call? Well, phone lines traveled two directions the last time I... I mean, we ain't even living in the old days where you had to pick the phone up and ask the operator to connect you or have to dial a special number to get long distance. You can call them anytime you want to, but instead, a negative person wants to sit in the corner and sulk in a pool of their own hot tub tears and have their own little pity party about who ain't helping them when you could really get yourself up and make yourself available. The Bible says if you want friends... You got to be friendly. You can't sit in the corner and sulk because ain't nobody there. Pastors mean this Sunday. If you don't like this one, you won't like the next two. Here's what I want to tell you about your attitude. Are you ready for this? I'm going to drop a truth bomb right in your lap and I'm going to let you deal with it. Whatever your attitude is, you created it. It's not your ex. It's not the boss, it ain't the pastor, it ain't the neighbor across the street that put up the privacy fence and throws eggs at you, it ain't them. Because whatever they did to you is on them. Whatever you did to you is on you. So whatever your attitude is, they did not create your attitude, I'll get to that in a few moments. You created your attitude. And it is easier than you think to get caught up in negative attitudes. Paul in, this, uh, Paul, in this scripture, if we back up a few verses, and I don't have time to read them to you, but the reason Paul is addressing this idea about rejoicing is because in the first two scriptures of this passage, he is actually talking, he writes this to two sisters in this church. Their name is Judea and Sinachia. And you thought your name was funny. And he writes to them, and this is what he says, Now I appeal to Judea, and Sinachia, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And then he asks one of the brothers in the church, and I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women. For they have worked hard with me in spreading the good news. In other words, they helped him preach. Paul says, these women have helped me preach. They've been friends. They're co-laborers. They go to church together. Please, because you are both believers... Settle your disagreement. I have a hard problem with people who claim to be Christian, but all they ever do is complain about other Christians. The disciples showed us how to handle this the wrong way. Because you remember when they came to Jesus because they had the spirit of run tell that? They came to Jesus they said, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus! Like they were in third grade. Teacher, teacher. We saw people over here baptizing and casting out devils in your name, and we told them to quit. Because they don't go to church with us. Jesus said, what do you do something stupid like that for? That's not the King James. That's the Mitchum version. What do you do something stupid like that for? He said, if they're not against you, they're for you. If they're doing the work of the Lord, why are you always complaining about something somebody else is doing? At least they're doing something. At least they're trying. At least they're trying to get somebody into the kingdom instead of just sitting up on a high lofty uh, uh, perch uh, with their keyboard typing out how everything they said wasn't scriptural and every verse of that song don't line up with scripture. Could we just give it a rest and realize folks are dying and going to hell and that is more important than everything being just so and right? Yeah. 
I, I mean, some issues are important and some are not. Some issues matter about heaven and hell and many, many others do not. And some of us have created such a righteous attitude, no wonder folks don't want to join the church. There was a woman walking down the street one day and she had a wrong attitude. She heard a voice yell and say, Stop! If you take one more step, you're going to be killed. So she stopped. Seconds later, this brick fell from a building right in front of her. A minute or two later, she was still walking down the street, and she was about to cross in a crosswalk, and she heard that same voice. It says, Halt! Don't cross the street now. And suddenly, an out-of-control truck came speeding through and ran the red light, and she realized she would have been struck down by it if she would have been out in the, in the, side, in the crosswalk. So she was very shaken, and she got up against the building, and she said, who, who is that? And the voice came back to her and said, I'm your guardian angel. I suppose you've got some questions for me. She said, you bet I do. Where was you at on my wedding day? That's the wrong attitude. That's not an attitude of gratitude at all. She wasn't thankful for what just happened. She was worried about why he didn't show up sooner. Y'all ain't going to help me right there. That's all right. Just look right here, ladies. I, 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 you keep your eyes up here. I don't want no fighting over lunch because of something I said. Attitude is your eye, your face, your ear, and your voice. What do I mean by that? It is the eye of your soul because it sees the world. You filter everything that you see through your attitude. Attitude is the face of your life, which means I don't care how much you love somebody. If you can't show them, they don't believe it. It's the face that everybody sees. Your attitude is the ear of your mind, which means your attitude determines how you understand things. You, you wonder why everybody's talking hateful to you, but can I tell you that offended eyes see offended things and offended ears hear with offended ears? That means that no matter how sweet they are, if you're determined that it's negative, you turn everything into something negative. Your attitude is the voice of your heart. That means you relate to everybody in your life through your attitude. It determines your destiny. It means your attitude is why people either want to be around you or leave the room when you walk in. It's your attitude. Attitude is a small thing that makes a huge difference. Why is it important to get this right? Why is it important for you, if you want to be better than this, why is it important for you to get this, this area of your life straightened up? I'll tell you why. Because your attitude affects three things. It affects your relationship with God. It affects your relationship with others. And it affects your relationship with yourself. Let me tell you what I mean by each one of those. It affects your relationship with God. Paul says rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the... In, rejoice where? In the Lord. That means our joy is in the Lord. That means it don't matter what your mouth says about me. My joy ain't in your mouth. Y'all not going to help me now. See, I'm about to get real in here. My joy ain't in you. You didn't give it to me. You can't take it away from me because my joy is in the Lord. So it just doesn't matter what the rumors are, the scandalizing. doesn't matter what they say. doesn't matter what they do because your joy should never be in them. And let me just give you a hint that you didn't pay me for this. This is free. If you got your joy wrapped up in other folks, that's where you made your mistake. You need to snatch that mess back and put your joy in the Lord because I 
I promise you that no matter what you go through, Jesus ain't never done you nothing but good, and he won't ever misuse, abuse, or neglect you. That's why your joy can be in the Lord, and it'll be safe there. See, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice. We used to have testimony services in the old church. Folks would stand up. We called them popcorn testimonies. They'd jump up and they almost always sounded identical. I'm glad to be saved, sanctified, and filled with God's good Holy Ghost. What that was was rejoicing in the Lord. Because they didn't say, I'm glad I got a job. They didn't say, I'm glad I got married. Most folks wouldn't say that. Never mind, it's in a sermon for another time. They didn't say, I'm glad I got $10 left at the end of my pay. They were rejoicing in the Lord. Because they were rejoicing about stuff that only Jesus gives. Saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. So rejoicing should be as natural to a Christian as it is a fish to swim. See, I'm saved. So I'm the creature. I ought to be able to praise the Creator. I am the redeemed. I ought to be able to praise the Redeemer. I'm a citizen of the kingdom. I ought to be able to praise the king of the kingdom. I am a child, and I ought to be able to come running to my daddy anytime with thanksgiving and give him praise. So I'm going to give you a help. Uh, I'm going to give you a helping hint this morning, okay? I don't want to go all Dr. Phil on you, but I, I do want to help you with this idea of anxiety. I, I want you to ask yourself four questions. If you're an anxious person, if you're the kind of person like me that from time to time you deal with uh, overwhelming anxiety which, help, which hinders your ability to rejoice always. Does he mean always? It wouldn't be in the Bible if he didn't mean it. That means I'm supposed to always rejoice. And I'm going to tell you and testify and confess to you I don't always rejoice. So that I've had to develop some things to do to keep myself from getting anxious. Be anxious for how much? How much? Did he really mean nothing? Be anxious for nothing. So when I feel anxiousness coming to attack my joy, which affects my attitude, which affects how I treat other people and even my relationship with God, here's what I ask myself. Number one, what's the best thing that can happen to me today? Number two, what's the worst thing that can happen to me today? Number three, what can I do to make the best thing happen? And what can I do to make the worst thing? Do you see what I just did? I took power away from the devil. I took power away from you. I took power away from my wife. I took power away from the boss because they're not the source of my anxiousness. If I'm worried about it, what I did was I took responsibility for my own attitude. I said, what can I do to make the best thing happen? What can I do to make the worst thing happen? You know how we go wrong? We start thinking, what are they going to do to make the worst thing happen to me? Or who's going to come along and make the good stuff happen for me? You've got to stop being codependent Christians. The only folk that you ought to be dependent on are three. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's who you need to depend on. Nobody else is in control of your happiness. Nobody else should be holding your joy. Your attitude is on you. Is this helping anybody? 
So it affects your relationship with God. Secondly, it affects your relationship with other people. Paul goes on to say, let your gentleness be evident. Can I preach for a minute? I ain't looking for you. I'm looking for your neighbor you're sitting beside, the hateful one. The mean-spirited one, not you, your neighbor. Listen to what Paul says. Let your, let your gentleness, not, not let your intellect, not, not let your know-it-all attitude, not, not, not your conspiracy theories, don't let that stuff be known. But what he wants you to spread, if you're going to spread something, if you're going to get out there and throw your opinion around, let it be this. Gentleness. What does gentleness mean? Three words. Fair, kind, and patient. That's what gentleness is. Fair, kind, and patient. That means you're approachable. That means you're easy to get along with. That means you're gracious, which means you prefer other people over yourself. Does that sound like most Christians you know? Does that sound like any Facebook posts that you've read from Christians lately? Because if 2020 exposed anything about the church, it's our systems were broke, some of our faith was broke, and many Christians was mean. If 2020, if it wasn't COVID, it was the election. If it wasn't the election, it was the social injustices. And we just learned that instead of being able to be gentle, what was really, because I say it all the time and folks don't believe me, when you squeeze something, whatever's inside is inevitably going to come out. And you can fake it till you make it for a while. But when the squeeze gets applied, what's really inside of you will come out of you. And what I saw coming out of a lot of folks was mean. Not gentleness, not being kind to one another. It also means to be considerate of other people and their feelings. Hear me, Christian. Sometimes to stay right with God and right, it means you have to stay right with others. I'm going to come out here because y'all don't like this part. Jesus loves you. Some people think you're an idiot. Jesus loves you and other folks can't stand you. I went to God and said, Lord, I love you, but these kids you put under me about to make me lose my mind. Listen, in order for you to stay right with God, and I'll talk about this more next week, you have to stay right with other people. Why do you think Paul wrote this letter to a whole church and addressed two people? Because he knew that the level of joy that we receive from God that guards our hearts is in direct correlation to how we act one with one another. If I am arguing and fighting and feuding with you, God has an issue with me. And I'm not going to have supernatural joy as long as I'm holding a grudge. As long as I can't get along with you, I'm not going to have supernatural peace from heaven. So, so it affects my relationship with God, my, my attitude. My attitude also affects my relationship with other people. The church needs a baptism in kindness. We need to stop asking the Holy Ghost to come in and make us waller all over the floor and ask the Holy Ghost to come in and make us sweet. 
Because the gifts of the Holy Spirit are of no effect if the fruit is lacking. And we have, in the Pentecostal realm, so uh, magnified the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we forgot that there's a whole other set of, of gifts from the Holy Spirit. Gentleness, kindness, love, faith. And all those things are helping the church to be attractive to people. They don't care about your tongue talking if you are always mean as a junkyard dog. It's quiet in here now. I had y'all go bump and jump and make the Lord feel something. But if you sow joy into other people, you're going to reap joy. I've taught you this entire series that there's inevitable laws. What you send out's coming back. How you treat other folks is going to show up as a harvest in your life. So if you are seeking ways to make somebody else happy, you're going to have joy. But if you're selfish, and prickly, and condescending, and hateful, and spiteful, you're going to get a harvest of that too. And then you wonder why your attitude is bad, because uh, all these bad things always happen to me. How do you treat other people? Your attitude affects your relationship with God. It affects your relationship with others. And lastly, it affects your relationship with yourself. Do you know the reason God wants you to have joy? is because it testifies about how much you really trust God. Listen to what he says in verse 6 and 7. Don't be anxious for anything. And then he tells you how to do it. See, that seems, it seems unlikely for a brother like me who battles anxiety. It, it seems unlikely that he could say, be anxious for nothing. Really? Nothing? Like, like if I lose my job? Nothing? If the diagnosis is cancer? Nothing? Like nothing. He, he said the word nothing. He didn't say almost nothing. He didn't qualify it. He didn't say barely nothing, almost nothing. He said, be anxious for nothing, and then he tells you how to do it. He writes the prescription in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Present your requests to God. And then he says the peace of God, which passes all understandings, will guard your heart and your mind. So the rest of our time today and for the final two weeks of this sermon series, I want to look at heart trouble. What did it say it was going to do? Guard your what? Heart and don't be anxious for anything. Be anxious for nothing. That's a heart problem. It's a mind problem. Okay? That means don't worry and fret needlessly I'm going to calm down and not get too anxious while I talk to you about not being anxious are you ready for me to dig down a little bit now just like any good doctor this is going to hurt you, you probably going to you probably going to walk away this morning feel like you just had a little spiritual surgery but I'm trying to heal you not kill you let me tell you what anxious means in the Greek the Greek word for anxiety literally means choke or strangle. And anybody that's ever had anxiety knows that's exactly what it feels like. It feels like you can't breathe in your spirit. It feels like you can't think straight in your mind. It feels like everything around you is closing in on you to choke or to strangle. Now, this does not mean when Paul says to not be anxious 
for anything. That doesn't mean you're not supposed to worry about anything. That doesn't mean that you're not supposed to be concerned about real problems. But anxiety is not concern about real problems. Anxiety is when you start having random thoughts of fear about every single thing that possibly could go wrong. You have no foundation for your fear. It hasn't happened yet, and you're just imagining things that isn't even true. You have fabricated a reality that may or may not take place, and you're allowing it to affect your attitude. This is not popular, but this is good. That's why he said, if you want a prescription to get over anxiety, pray with thanksgiving. This goes right back to where he started, right? What was that word? Rejoice. So he's interwoven this theme throughout the entire passage. We need to pray with thanksgiving. When you tell God thank you in advance for what you are asking him for, it doesn't do a thing for God, but it sure does something for you. Because when you tell God thank you, and you ain't even got the thing you're thanking him for. What it does is it's telling you, I may not even get it the way I want it, but at least I took it and dropped it off at his foot, and I ain't carrying this thing out. Understand me, when I tell you to pray with thanksgiving, I'm not telling you that you're going to get everything you ask Father for because sometimes Father knows some stuff that you ask Him for ain't best for you. But what you are doing is you are taking this burden up off of you and you are laying it down at His feet. And you're saying, whatever you decide, it's all right with me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Whatever you decide to give me out of this, thank you. Thank you. You know better than I do. Thank you. Now, the peace of God. This is where I'm going to spend the next two weeks. Boy, I'm going to dig into this next week. I cannot wait. I'm going to write this sermon tonight just so I can smile all week. Because I know what it's going to do for somebody. The peace of God will guard your heart and your mind. Now, this is the peace that comes from God. The peace of God. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. But not like the world gives you peace. I give you a different kind of peace. I give you something the world can't give you. You know, you can have a great job and commit suicide. Because just having a big, huge... Uh, celebrities do it all the time. Multi-millionaires and they commit suicide. Why? Because you can have money but not have peace. You can have power and not have peace. You can have celebrity and not have peace. You, you can have all the things that the world offers but not have peace. And if you don't have peace, something is always missing. No matter how much stuff you accumulate, no matter how many people pat you on the back, no matter how many people are by your side, something's always missing because we were designed to have peace. And you can be dirt poor in a hut in Tahiti and have the perfect peace of God. And he says the peace of God will do two specific things. It will guard your heart and your mind. Your heart and your mind. What it guards your mind against is anxiety. What it guards your heart about against is everything else. This is the peace that comes from God. And I have to point out 
that we can't expect to have peace from God until we have peace with God. I don't care what they shared on Facebook. If they ain't saved, they got no business praying and asking God for stuff. I'm, I'm right out here. I'm, I'm here to represent. If they're not saved, God has no covenant with them. And I don't care how bad they hurt because we don't receive from God because we have a lot of pain or we cry a lot of tears. We receive from God because the Bible says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The Bible says it's by faith that we have moved because it's, it's faith that moves God. So, so we have to have faith first and foremost and you don't get into the body of faith until you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You don't have peace with God, you will never receive peace from God. God ain't about to give you your benefits of being saved without the relationship. No, 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 we do that. Trifling folk do that, but God don't do that. We do that. We give people the benefits of the relationship without actually having the relationship. We make excuses why the relationship ain't what it's supposed to be and just keep giving all the benefits, but God ain't like that. God says, you want to be on my side, come all the way over, and then we talk about the benefits. I'm better than this. So you got to have peace with God before you can get peace from God. And then God's peace will guard your heart and your mind. That's emotionally and mentally. The peace of God will guard your emotions and your thinking. That word guard literally means having a guard on duty. It literally means that there is a guard placed in your heart and in your mind. Now the Bible don't say what the guard is. So allow me to just use my imagination. Because when I got saved, the Bible says that my dead spirit became quickened. Which means, that word quickened means it came alive. Which means I carried around an old dead spirit until I met Jesus. But the moment I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, something happened on the inside of me. Which means my dead spirit was made alive. And what made it alive? Did I get a transfusion? No. Was I going under the surgical knife of heaven? No. What made my spirit alive was that the heavenly spirit came to dwell inside this old earthen body. That means I've got the Holy Ghost of God up in here and up in here. And when the Bible says that he is guarding my heart and he is guarding my mind, I imagine when fear comes knocking on my heart's door that the Holy Ghost steps over and says, Halt! You can't go here. When a temptation of lust comes and tries to get in my heart, the Holy Ghost will stand up and say, Halt! You may not enter here. When you are talking about me and making me feel bad and I'm starting to feel depressed and anxiety, the Holy Ghost will jump up and say, Halt! You ain't got no business coming in here! Halt! You got no business here. This is a child of the King. We guard his heart. We guard his mind. And hear me, 
Because he's always on duty because he never sleeps nor slumbers. If stuff's slipping by and getting in your heart and your mind, it's because you called him off. Your guard tried to stop him. Your guard told the devil to quit. Your guard told fear to quit. Your guard told pornography to quit. Your guard told lust to quit. And you told the Holy Ghost, stand down. I know better than you. Because I got news for you. Hell ain't created a devil stronger than the Holy Ghost. So ain't nothing slipping by him unless you called him off his post. This scripture says he will guard your heart and your mind. You have to willfully call him off his post to get some mess by him. Why do you, keep, why do you think I keep telling you your attitude is a you problem? Because the Holy Ghost is doing his job. Let me ask you a question. Hey, Christian, put that, put that little three-letter little three-letter thing up there for me, if you would. How many of you type this? Shame. I got a confession to make. I've never LOL'd. Not once. Not ever. I refuse. I do. I refuse. Texting first became a thing, I didn't jump on board. I was one of the last holdouts still calling people. And then I realized if I was in a tree stand, trying to get Bambi to walk by, typing is quieter than talking. So I got texting just so I could type from a tree stand. And I still refuse to use that. It's a flag that I've planted. It's a hill I'm ready to die on. I'm sorry. I'm not going to do it. I refuse. However, I do use these little faces. You know, emojis. I never thought I would do that either because, you know, I'm macho. And I never thought I would be one to use those little faces. And what they have done is they've made it so that people can talk without having to type any words. You know, like they did in kindergarten. Ain't no wonder nobody can spell anymore. Because we talk through pictures. But we're getting carried away. I'm going to give you an example. This past week, I had the privilege and honor to preach at the West Virginia camp meeting on Tuesday morning. And when I got done with service, actually, service was over because we had a long altar call. By the time I got my phone, my phone was full of messages. People congratulating me, people who were there in the building, people who were far away that watched. They were all telling me what a great job. You know, they were, they were you know, patting me down and rubbing me up, telling me, telling me good things. But I got one message that looked exactly like this. Will you put that up there, Kristen, for me, please? Now listen, everybody else had sent me something very encouraging. But if you're going to talk to me in hieroglyphs, please provide a commentary or something. Because I'm sitting at the dinner table at lunchtime with my state overseer and the evening speaker that was going to preach that night and the office staff and my family. And, 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 and there was probably 20 people at this table. 
And I had to reach my phone across the table to my 14-year-old daughter and say, Would you please translate this for me, Hannah? And apparently, that says I did good. Who knew? I, it was actually your, bro, your son-in-law, Troy Lynn, that sent me that. Apparently, he thought I did good. But the muscle arm, fireworks, open book, hammer, nail, I didn't know what it was. So I had to get my 14-year-old for a translation. And here's another thing about these little emojis. You can translate and express a lot more emotion than you actually feel. Like this. You know what this means, literally? What's it mean? Rolling on the floor, laughing. I send that on a daily. And I ain't never rolled on the floor laughing till I was crying. I send that to people every day. But I have never had that emotion in real life. As a matter of fact, sometimes I will send that to somebody and I'm not even laughing. I will send that and don't even feel especially jolly. Because we have learned a way to tell people we feel a way that we don't necessarily feel. We're hiding the truth behind images. But listen to what Paul said. If you do these things, you will experience God's peace and it will guard your heart. It didn't say anything about guarding your money. It didn't say anything about guarding your health. It said it will guard your heart and your mind. You know why? Because you can lose everything else. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Just give me, just give me 30 more seconds. Give me, give me another minute. You can lose your money. You can lose your job. You can even lose your health. And if you have a guard in place that is protecting your mind and your heart, all the other stuff can go away and you will still stand steadfast and firm and say, even if he slay me, yet will I trust him. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You can lose a lot as long as your heart and your mind are guarded by the peace of God You'll say, bye-bye, I've got everything I need because I'm holding the hand of the hand of the man from Galilee. So this whole thing about our attitude really isn't that complicated. Whenever we've got inside of us is going to reflect in our attitude. Because as a man thinketh, so is he. So if you have it in your head, it will eventually end up in your heart. And if it gets to your heart, it will eventually come out in your attitude. So that means either your faith is going to mess up your feelings or your feelings is going to mess up your faith. And I hear people say all the time, and Christians hear me, because this is so damaging to the body of Christ. I hear Christians saying crazy stuff all the time like, well, I just say what I feel. Well, I just say what I feel. Well, that's fine. As long as you also realize that you are also going to feel everything you say. You're going to reap a harvest. 
You're not sending all that stuff out on Facebook and it's not coming back to you. You ever notice why? The more you talk about conspiracy, the more you talk about who to believe and who not to believe, the angrier you get. But if you will just simply hit mute on some folks, if you will block some folks, if you will turn the news off and get in the Word, the Bible says that we are to preach the Word, be instant in season, out of season. Don't say nothing about preaching the philosophies of the world or the conspiracies of the... No, no, no. It says preach the Word. If you will get into the Word, I promise you, you won't come out angry. Uh, so... Is your heart guarded? I know you got insurance on your car, but is your heart guarded? I know you bought the extra insurance on that new iPhone because you always crack in the screen, but is your heart guarded? Because if it's not, there's stuff getting in that God doesn't intend for you to have to deal with. Do you realize that when you let people in, you're contaminating a holy place? Know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit where His Spirit lives? And when you let people into your mind and into your heart, you are bringing contamination into a holy place. I pay a monthly fee to have security on my house. There is a code to get in the door, and then there's another code to turn the alarm off. You know how crazy it would be if I started printing business cards with my name, my address, and them codes on it? I just defeated the purpose of the security. And you do it all the time, and I do it all the time in our spirit. We give people the code to get in. When God's been trying to guard our mind and guard our heart, and we give people the code to get in where God never intended them to be. And I've said all that to get to this. It's very obvious sometimes... Some people don't have the protection in place that they need because they let so many people and things affect their attitude. Don't raise your hands this morning. I'm going to give you a minute to pray. But have you ever said this? They just make me so mad. Oh, you don't ever say that? You don't know nobody that ever says that? Can I tell you that is a paralyzing statement? Because if somebody made you mad, that is you confessing that you can't do anything about it. And obviously, they have more control over you than you have control over you. When you make other people responsible for your state of mind and don't take ownership of your own temper, you are letting other people have the code to get into your holy place. Oh, they just always put me in a bad mood. That doesn't exist. Paul said you're supposed to be in charge of your own self. They don't put you anywhere. You put a car in a garage. You put whipped cream on an apple pie. You put a kid down for a nap. But you are a whole grown person. Ain't nobody putting you anywhere. If you're in a bad mood, they didn't do it. You allowed the attack to get through your unguarded hearts. Just because somebody invites you for a ride on their emotional crazy train don't mean you have to get on board. 
Your joy is your responsibility. Guard your heart. Stand with me all over this building, would you? Pastor, that's easy for you to say. No, actually it's not. It's kind of difficult because I'm guilty of a lot of this. But I also know what the Word says. You want to know a very simple solution? Because I don't want you to leave. I want you to celebrate with these graduates. You know what a very simple solution to all of this is? We make this so complicated. We act like we're so deep and complicated. And we're really just a mess. We're not all that philosophical. I don't have to get you in my office and diagnose you for 20 weeks to tell you what. We're just a mess. And we're mostly a mess because we permit ourselves to be a mess. God didn't call us to a mess. No, nowhere. You're not going to argue me down off this point. God did not call us to live messed up, messy, crazy, dysfunctional lives. He made it very simple. We complicate it. You want to know how simple it is? Look at the scripture in John. Read it with me out loud. Are you ready? Ready? Read. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will. Jesus said, I have told you these things. I've told you about heaven. I've told you about loving each other. I've told you about loving the Father. I've told you about repenting for sins. I've told you these things so that you can have joy. And what kind of joy? Overflow. Don't stand here in this room and try to tell me I can't control my temper. Switch that up and tell the truth and say, I won't control my temper. Switch it up and say, instead of saying, they always put me in a bad mood. Switch it up, take responsibility and say, I always let what they say or what they do bring me down to their level. Because Jesus didn't give you this. This is what Jesus gave you. I gave you my word so you'll have my joy and you'll be overflowing. Now, everybody in this room is overflowing with something. Look at your neighbor and say, what are you overflowing with? Go ahead. Some of us is overflowing with joy. I commend you. Some of us is over jo uh, overflowing uh, with, with little less than joy. Some of us is overflowing with biscuits and gravy, but that's okay too. Let's pray together. God wants your joy to be full. Are you full of joy? I... I, I I doubt very many of us would be honest and say my joy is full. Maybe, maybe you've got half a tank. Some of you maybe three-quarters of a tank, seven-eighths. Maybe some of you are running on empty. But no matter where you are, what level you are, God wants to feel you. Did you see that word? I want to feel you so you're overflowing. And if you believe that can receive that this morning, I believe you'll leave here lighter. I believe when you leave this room, you will leave here lighter than you walked in because your joy will be overflowing. Can you receive that? If you can and you're physically able, would you stretch your hands toward heaven because I can't give this to you. This is a, this is a gift from, from above. Father God, in the name of your son Jesus, go ahead and open your mouth and say, I need your joy. Holy Ghost, please come. Fill me till I'm overflowing 
Replace what needs replaced. And fill me with your goodness. I want to be better than this. Fill me with Christ's love. Fill me with gentleness. Fill me with kindness. Fill me with wisdom. Fill me with favor. And make me overflow. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Say it like you mean it in Jesus' name. Now act like you got joy and give him about seven seconds of great praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is it. Pastor, it can't be that simple. Sure, it can be that simple. I told you these things so you would have joy and you'll be overflowing. You got to get rid of the negative. I'll dig into that more next week. We've got to learn how to guard our hearts. Actually, we don't have to guard our hearts. We got to allow the guard to stay in place. He said, I've already put the guard. You just got to learn how to quit putting him to bed so you can let in the stuff that hurts you. God bless you. Promise of victory. Please, please have a seat and join us. If you have to go, I understand, but we'd love for you to stay and help us uh, uh, give these uh, graduates a